Welcome to Brain Health 365, the podcast focusing on innovative, holistic, and integrative approaches to brain health and healthy aging. Our host, Brian Brown, a national cognitive health expert, will discuss and interview top experts covering wide-ranging topics focusing on his 10 principles for brain health. We invite you to engage and join the conversation. Welcome to Brain Health 365, the podcast that gives you all the information you need about brain health. I'm Brian Brown, your host. And today we're excited to have Dr. Devin Ross, pharmacist who obtained his doctor of pharmacy from Chicago State University and is a Cleveland native and works for the CVS Caremark organization and is a strong advocate about addressing modifiable risk factors and lifestyle interventions for people who are aging. And so, so Devin, Dr. Ross, glad to have you here today. Yes, thank you. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure and an honor to be here with you, Brian. Appreciate it. Great. We've got a lot to unpack today. And so we're excited to ask some questions about one of the topics that we get uh, questions about, and I've done a number of presentations about, and it's this whole notion of pseudo-dementia. And pseudo-dementia meaning that, you know, medications can affect you and affect your cognition to make it seem like you have dementia, but you really don't have dementia. It's a, it's a really um, important topic. So, so let me ask you the first question. Um, how important is, is pharmacy in the aging process? Now, pharmacy and pharmacists are essential, absolutely essential to the aging process. I mean, with the, the population getting older and our, our elderly population growing at an exponential rate, um, it, it really puts pharmacists at the forefront of managing these medications for these patients. I mean, a lot of the patients are visiting the pharmacy. Or the majority of the, I would say, my patients visit the pharmacy at least once or twice a week, um, uh, which puts me, as well as other pharmacists, in a critical role simply because of how accessible we are. You know, I mean, how many professionals can you just kind of just walk up to and ask a question and and get an answer like that? Or at least be guided in some sort. Um, so the accessibility of pharmacists is essential to managing um, our, our elderly and geriatric population, um, as well as them relying on us heavily uh, on, on that because um, we have to communicate these answers to their, or the, yeah, these solutions to their questions um, in a way that they understand and minimizes their confusion as well as maximizes their their outcomes, you know? That, that That's a great point. One, the accessibility, that pharmacists are in place to be accessible, um, more so than even folks, family doctors and others that you have to make these appointments for and, and there's an arduous process. The, the accessibility is, is critical. And, and what you said earlier, aging is, is a difficult process. And there's a lot of people who, um, because we know that as you age, um, on average, there's people have three chronic conditions, which are typically managed, you know, simultaneously, and mm-hmm. they're going to three different physicians to get three different medications. And right. there's really a lack of consolidation. So you become that entry point 
to help consolidate the, the process of, of managing all of these chronic illnesses? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. When these, as you, like you said, you, you nailed it. When these patients age, right, they tend to may acquire various conditions, which then may cause them to see various practitioners that specialize in those conditions, which then where prescriptions and treatment plans are then processed for these patients. And that's where we step in as the medication expert to really to really make sense of these treatment plans uh, that these practitioners want and basically to make not only the patient more comfortable, um, but their family members as well, you know? That, that's, 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 that's great. You know, it's such an important role in the continuum of health. Now, a lot of people always dismiss um, pharmacists as just, okay, I'm getting medications uh, regular prescription medication filled there. But I also know that your value exceeds that because of the fact that you look to really reconcile not just the prescription medications, but all of the over-the-counter medications and all of the supplements that really um, have an effect on people. And you're the only one that sometimes typically knows that people are on over-the-counter medication and supplements as well. So how do you make it part of your practice that you kind of draw this information out of people so that you can then make the best decisions as you guide them for their, for their therapy treatments? So the difficult part as a pharmacist is that I can't ask the questions for my patients. I can just answer them. So if they don't necessarily tell me, I have to dive in and get the answers myself. So when I'm dispensing these medications, I do the best that I can to try to, uh, to, try to acquire if they're you know, taking any other medications at other pharmacies or, or any OTC products. Um, and that's really done at the counseling session. Um, that I, I really am a firm believer of just because I don't want the patient to leave with any questions unanswered. Um, so that's the, that's the challenging part is to really consolidate all of that information um, pr- uh, before the patient leaves uh, the, the pharmacy. So, um, so, so that's, that's a great point. So by law, everybody is offered a consultation when they receive mm-hmm. prescription medication, correct? Correct. That's correct. But they then have to initiate and give you the additional information above what you're filling for them at the pharmacy, correct? Exactly. So by law, I am required to offer counseling. However, they do have a decision to say, no, everything is fine, or no, I've been taking it for years, or, or no, I'm okay, my doctor explained it already, or the directions are in the bag. I'm okay, you know. And then at that point, I kind of gotta just, you know, I can go further and just confirm their understanding. But the nature of the pharmacy uh, is very busy, so you know, you do have to to move on to the next patient uh, that's in line or on the phone or, or at the window. So statistically, um, I looked up some statistics. A lot of people don't take advantage of that consult for exactly what you said. Uh, The directions are in the bag, uh, my doctor, whatever. But what what my research has shown and and others is that consult makes all the difference in the world. This is when you get to download information about a lot of things that cause what we're going to talk about, this pseudo-dementia, 
that they have sure. no idea. So they're living in this brain fog and not knowing that if they just talked to the pharmacist and told them that story that you just said, all of that stuff changes for them. Right. Absolutely. I mean, I can't, I can't tell you enough times where I would just simply have a conversation with one of my regular patients and I will, you know, discuss with them and say, Hey, they're taking a uh, cholesterol medication. And then they mentioned, or I see grapefruit juice at the counter that they're about to purchase. You know, at that moment, I'm like, Hey, you know, you're not supposed to drink that grapefruit juice with that, that cholesterol medication. Correct. And then they're like, what? I've been taking this medication for years. And, and, and so that those are the moments where I identify those interactions. But it's like I said, it's challenging to catch those ahead of time. That, that's, that's a great example. That is a great example. And, and again, so for those listeners out there, take the consult. When you're offered <laughs> the consult, take the consult. Because uh, we have people like, uh, you know, Dr. Devin Ross, who is chomping at the bit to give you some good information, but he needs you to, to step up and take the consult. Now, let's, let's talk about um, one of the issues that we just briefly touched on, this whole aspect of, of polypharmacy. And that's a big, long word about, you know, people going and getting multiple medications from multiple different places. So you may not even know where your patients have other pharmacies that they've gone and, and received other prescriptions and so you're really providing this medication to them blind um, and hoping that through the consult, like we just talked about, they'll consult you and tell you this information, but a lot of times they don't. So how often is this problem of polypharmacy? Unfortunately, it's a, it's a, it's a very big problem. I mean, and it's not, the, it's not always the patient's fault. You know, sometimes there are insurance plans that require the patient to go to a different pharmacy to accept their medications. However, because of the relationship that they may have with my pharmacy, they may want to stick around or they may want to get some medications at the pharmacy across town because it's cheaper, but still get their maintenance medications at my pharmacy. You know what I mean? Or they might jump into a grocery store in a different state and grab some fish oil which I will never be aware of, which may interact with their medications as well. So it's, it's a big challenge and I see it more common than not. Um, but the key thing is, is that it's not necessarily the patient's fault. Um, it is more so uh, a, 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 joined, um, a joined issue amongst like practitioners, pharmacies and insurance plans. Um, so as pharmacists, what we can do to kind of minimize polypharmacy would basically to just, if we have the chance, ensure that they don't attend or go to any other pharmacies, or if they can just let us know if they are considering going to any pharmacy or picking up any over-the-counter medication. Yeah, that would uh, specifically older people with a lot of chronic conditions and then getting more medications. That is a, that's a must that needs to happen for overall quality of life and, and medical outcomes. And, and we have to do a, a good job. Um, you know, all of us professionals, healthcare professionals in educating our aging population, that this is a standard practice that they need to adhere to in terms of, of 
typically, if you can, one pharmacy, have a relationship with your pharmacist, um, mm-hmm. disclose all of your medications as a best practice so that they can get the right and uh, the best health care that they can deliver to them. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that should be done at the initial uh, visit with the patient and their their provider, you know, ensuring them that, hey, I need your preferred pharmacy and you do not go to any other pharmacy unless you, you know, you let your pharmacist know as well as your practitioner know, because there's times where patients may switch pharmacies. However, their provider or, or, or um, their practitioner may send their prescription to another pharmacy and there we have another another issue there. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit about um, when people get meds for certain um, certain chronic conditions. One of the truths about any kind of therapeutic is that there are side effects and drug interactions with with potentially with any medication. True. Yeah. And I and I think a lot of people have to understand. Um, I may not get those side effects, um, but you may get those side effects right. depending. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And, and and now, so side effects are a part, uh, potential part of of certain medications, but those side effects can be amplified when they're interacting with different drugs for different chronic conditions. And this is where pseudo dementia starts: is when those drugs don't quite mix together, these these drug reactions and interactions start. And before you know it, something like your cognitive status becomes affected where people start to feel a little foggy headed. They feel a little confused sometimes. And they assume because they're aging, it's maybe I'm getting Alzheimer's. But we know Alzheimer's and related dementias to be neurodegenerative in nature and more of a terminal permanent aspect. But because these drugs interact with each other and have these, these, these side effects and reactions, we can mimic Alzheimer's and related dementias by just mixing the wrong drugs together. And so speak to that as a pharmacist in terms of, of being uh, advising and being apprised of what some of these drugs can do. Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, as a pharmacist, we are known as the medication expert, right? We are are known to know all the drugs and all the adverse effects. But the thing with interactions and, and what they can cause is not only solely based on drug to drug interactions. You know, a lot of the uh, pseudo dementia or dementia like symptoms can occur from, you know, a drug and a over the counter product or a drug and an alcohol, it could be a drug and an alcohol interaction. It could be a drug and a disease state interaction, a, a drug and a lab test interaction. I mean, some antidepressants can interact with the skin prick test, which is, uh, which is, uh, which is known to help detect certain allergies that the patient may have. And then even literally just the drug and the person interaction um, their gen- the genetic makeup can affect the way that a drug may metabolize, and that can also cause some cognitive uh, issues that way. So, you know, as a, as a pharmacist, it's important. It's really important to try to uh, try to accumulate all of that data to really make the best decision for the patient. 
Yeah, that that's that is some really really sound um, advice and knowledge in terms of there are so many things that can interact with uh, with medication and and without that knowledge, people may be doing themselves harm um, without even knowing it. And you know, we like to say knowledge is power, right? And so having that yeah. information creates better decision making for you when we uh, when we take uh, medications and things like that. Um, Right. One of the other important aspects that you mentioned about the aging process is that certain things slow down as we age. So, uh, you know, so for example, our basal metabolic rate, the, the rate at which we burn calories and things like that slows down, but also the, the, the rate at which we digest medication. Um, so medication works itself through uh, uh, an older person's system different than a younger person's system. And Absolutely. so, yeah, so, so those are some issues, too, in terms of the way that as you age, how you metabolize medications. And you touched on that, that earlier. Um, the aging process really is, uh, as people age, these are the things that, that really folks need to know. Now, in terms of classes of medications. And I say this because there's people who have chronic conditions and take a class of medication for this particular chronic condition. Um, let's talk a little bit about some of the major conditions that people may take um, certain multiple medications for um, and, and, and talk about how, how we can take them safely uh, mm -hmm. so that we can get the most uh, efficacy out of these medications that we're that we're taking. Um, right. So let's let's talk about people with heart disease and talk about like statins and and talk briefly about what statins do. But but how how should one safely take statins that it doesn't affect other aspects? Yeah. So statins are a medication that is indicated to reduce your bad cholesterol as well as your chances for uh, a heart attack or a stroke. Now, the concern comes from, uh, Brian, you might be aware of it, where in 2012, the FDA uh, issued a warning against statin users reporting that short-term cognitive impairment um, was, was, was present in those patients. Um, which, which I, it actually caused a little bit of an uproar um, for, for patients uh, during that time. However, a study was published actually this past June, um, concluding that after a, like a five-year follow-up, I believe, there was no difference in occurrence of dementia uh, for statin versus non-statin users. Um, so if there is a concern for any cognitive uh, uh, related effects with the with statins um, that can basically be minimized by choosing a specific statin that doesn't actually cross what's called the blood brain barrier which means it doesn't necessarily affect your cognitive abilities um, and some examples of statins in general would be just a torvastatin rosuvastatin um, pitavastatin fluvastatin however um, the ones that wouldn't necessarily cross that blood-brain barrier, and you can have almost no concern if it was to affect your cognitive ability, um, would be those that are such as uh, lovastatin or, or simvastatin. Um, those cholesterol medications seem to have the lowest risk and the lowest connection uh, towards any, uh, any, any, any uh, cognitive 
issues. That's that's really good to know. That's really good to know that that the the you know uh, in my field the studies that have been done to identify and lower your risk for potential um, cognitive decline based on statin use. And and again, there there is a necessity of for people to take statins to lower their cholesterol to lower right. their risk for heart disease. So, mm -hmm. so we always want people to get the medication that they need, but we want to also mitigate the uh, side effects and the drug reactions and interactions as well. Yes, so absolutely. Great, the, the, great the, example. The now, how about things like um, we see a lot of antidepressants? Um, people, there's a lot of mental health issues out there, which which people always need to get addressed because mental health issues can lead into a lot of other things. And so there's a lot of drugs that are prescribed for people's mental health. Some of the side effects we know are the same cognitive things that we've talked about. So give us a little bit of an indication of, of how that could play out um, in, in real life with, uh, with antidepressant drugs. Right. Yeah. So Antidepressant drugs, there's a there's a large class of them. They're, they're, they are stratified by the way that they work. Um, there's some that are more common than others. Um, uh, for example, so there's an antidepressant class called the tricyclic acid. These would include like amitriptyline and nortriptyline. They've fallen out of favor to treat depression, so to speak, more so for nerve pain, um, most commonly used for nerve pain. However, um, despite how common I see that dispensed in my pharmacy, it's, it still has a high level of, of cognitive, uh, uh effects. Um, I mean, it's highly sedating, right? Um, it's actually on the list of, of, of medications that shouldn't be given or actually used with caution, um, in our geriatric patients. Um, it also can cause what's called orthostatic hypotension. Basically, when you go from a sitting position to a standing position, um, their blood pressure may drop temporarily, causing a little bit of dizziness, increasing their fall risk. Um, and then a lot of drugs also have the anticholinergic effect, which basically uh, blocks uh, a neurotransmitter called acetylcholine, which is responsible for you know, learning and memory, right? Uh, and the rest of a body, it, it helps stimulate muscle contractions. But when it when it blocks that, that in turn can also cause some some cognitive effects. However, I feel like practitioner practitioners neglect to really focus on that because they believe that the bigger issue is their depressive state, right? Um, their lack of interest, their lack of appetite, their desire not to do anything, their increase in fatigue. They wanna attack that issue, um, but not really consider the, the, the issue of what that can cause long-term. So yeah, so it gets a little bit tricky sometimes, but I do like what you said earlier that we do know in an elderly cohort or an elderly population that mm -hmm. it can uh, and, and does um, affect cognition. And so uh, workarounds, um, and, and this is where you come in to say, you know, hey, maybe we can accomplish this with a different type of drug that doesn't have the cognitive effects that still will give you the mental health support that you need. And, yeah. and you know, as a valuable member of the healthcare team, this is where people see you as, an, as at the end of it, but you really need to be included 
throughout the whole process so that you can counsel patients um, to go back to their practitioners or even call their practitioners and say, can we use a different drug to accomplish this? Right, right, absolutely. And then, you know, my, myself being a pharmacist, many may believe that I am a drug advocate, but as you mentioned in the beginning, I am an advocate for modifying lifestyles and basically making adjustments that can tackle the issue at the, at the root, right? Versus treating the issue after it has developed. And, and one of those things would be what's called cognitive behavioral therapy. Now there's no medications involved in that, right? However, it's a, basically a therapy session where a, you know, a, a therapist uses a structured process, right? With their clients to help them become aware of any negative or inaccurate thinking patterns that can basically allow them to cope and respond to them in a more effective manner. Um, so my, my, my role would be highly devoted to um, advocating that versus another medication, you know, unless that option has been exhausted, then we can kind of further investigate. I think you've just put a lot of people at ease by saying that <laughs> because really um, therapeutics um, in terms of a medication side um, shouldn't always be the first thing looked at. They're, they're, we should yes. be able to look at preventative therapies um, and, and, and other therapies before we go into some of the hardcore things that we do. So it's, it's really refreshing hearing um, you as a pharmacist advocating for um, other things other than, you know, hard medicines. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Brian, exercise and meditation, those two alone are guaranteed to improve your mood at some point, at least in the day, you know, and if you consistently, you know, stay, stay with those, I mean, what is an antidepressant when you have those, right? Yeah, that's exactly it. That's it. You're speaking my language in terms of all of the uh, mitigating factors for, for um, uh, reducing your risk for Alzheimer's and related dementias. Yeah. Now there's a specific, um, uh, aspect that I want to cover um, as we as we wind down here. And it's this. Um, for me, one of the risk factors um, that increase your risk for Alzheimer's and related dementia is this whole notion of lack of sleep. Sleep is a big issue. Sleep is a huge issue for us Americans. It is. So much so that um, we know that it's a big risk factor, like I said. But secondly, people then say, well, what do I have to do? They go to their doctor. What do I do to get better sleep? And this is where um, practitioners then start to prescribe sleeping aids. And we know that a lot of the sleeping aids that are prescribed are counterintuitive to cognitive status. So it's this chicken and egg thing. We know that they need sleep because of, you know, sleep is where beta amyloid gets cleared out of the brain and, and sleep that promotes, you know, all sorts of, of, you know, cellular recovery and everything like that. It's essential to us to survive and to thrive. And now they're not getting it. And they're going to the doctor and saying, give me something to get it, to, to get me sleeping. But what they're giving them potentially can be counterintuitive. Speak into that right now. 
Yeah, so sleeping aids are huge, right? Um, people care more about getting to sleep and staying to sleep than even probably getting up and staying awake. Um, it's, it's, it's one of the, the key disease states that I serve in my practice. Um, and it's actually sleeping aids are one of the most common medications that I dispense. Um, but as you said, it's that, it's that chicken and egg thing where, you know, some studies have linked sleeping aids to, you know, dementia. However, we know dementia is also associated with sleep problems. So it's, it's difficult to conclude that in itself. Um, and it's important, and I know I take advantage of this every time when patients come and ask, hey, I'm having difficulty sleeping, what do you recommend? You know, a lot of, uh, a lot of patients may initially expect me to just mention a medication. However, my, my answer is a question, you know, what, what, what do you mean? What, why aren't you sleeping? What do you think? Why do you think you aren't sleeping well? Are you having difficulty falling asleep? Are you having difficulty staying asleep? So to me, in order to accurately make the best recommendation, I feel like it's important to understand what's going on in their world, right? Do you absolutely need a medication? You know, and, and some do. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. Some do. However, it is important to um, exhaust other options to go ahead and, and clear those out to, to move forward. Because as you as you mentioned, a lot of uh, the sleep aids, they come with cognitive impairment issues. They increase the risk of falling. So there's a lot of other uh, complications that may come with just providing some type of, of sleep medication. Yeah, so it, it is It is a really um, difficult one that we have to manage. We got to get it right. Um, like you yeah. said, all of the risk factors that come into play when you don't get good sleep, and then some of the side effects with some of the sleeping medications that can keep you groggy during the day, mm -hmm. increase your risk for falls, all of those things. And it's really this delicate one. And it was interesting to hear you just say that some of the uh, most common pills that you dispense are for sleeping because, because we know how important it is. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I mean, I, I understand how important it is to myself, right? And I, so that helps me understand why they need their sleep so well. However, it's important to understand the, the relationship between what's causing that first. I, I like that. Let's go to the root cause of what is preventing you from sleeping and go there before we just start to prescribe you sleeping medication. Exactly, exactly. There's times where I've had a counseling session and a patient mentioned uh, uh, they, they're having trouble at work. Okay, so what's the trouble at work? Now, I don't like to turn it into a necessarily a therapy session. However, <laughs> I put into their mind, you know, what's, go, you know, how can we fix with, because I don't want to put just a Band-Aid on a, on a gunshot wound. You know what I mean? I'm looking for something that's going to, to hold everything in long-term so you don't have to worry about it again. I, that's, I, I, that's a great approach that you're not looking just to put a Band-Aid, that you take your job serious, that you're looking for long-term efficacy rather than just a short-term fix with some kind of medication. Absolutely. Absolutely. That is such a refreshing take on looking at how we deal with with these issues of polypharmacy and, and aging and cognitive issues. And, and it's been great to have a, uh, 
you, uh, a pharmacist here to be able to, to help us break down some of these issues that we see on a regular basis and to, to really guide people to best practices. And that is utilizing your pharmacist as part of your healthcare team. Yes. An integral part of your healthcare team, utilize them because uh, you may be surprised at the answers you get where uh, we're, <laughs> we're like, uh, you know, Dr. Ross was just saying, um, he may advise you to, to, to not take these, these medications and go into a deeper root of what the problem is. And so, so we want to thank you today for uh, being our guest here on Brain Health 365 and would love to have you back on a future episode. So thank you very much for joining us. Absolutely. And I, I appreciate the offer here. You know, I, I, I actually ex- uh, enjoyed my time here. Um, and if I could say say anything to the to the public, I would just say, hey, listen, your pharmacist, they took a vow to make the welfare of humanity their primary concerns, right? Take advantage of them. It's your life. It's your medication. And they're there to make sure that you use it properly and you get the best outcomes. Bug them 10, 12 times, 20 times if you need to. Your health is important. And I always stress this. If you not if you do not take care of your health today, you will be forced to take care of your health later. That's great advice. Thank you very much. And we'll have you back on a future episode. Take care. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. We encourage listener engagement and invite you to submit your brain health questions to us at questions at brainhealth365.com. Be sure to follow us on socials and download Brain Health 365 from wherever you get your podcast to stay up to date on the latest episodes. Join the conversation.